2: to the Rock Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitts. Today we are getting pretty close to the end of our Big 12 Kansas football opponent previews, um, but we still have a few more to get through, so we're going to go ahead and finish blasting through them here on the second week of our what I'm calling the season premiere week for the Rock Chalk Podcast. Uh, today we are talking about the TCU Horn Frogs. To help me do that, it is Melissa Trebowasser of Frogs of War and the new TCU podcast here on the 1012 Network, Hit the Horn. Melissa, how are you doing today?
1: You know, I am it's we've got fall camp starting up. We've got kind of a version of NFL football on the television. Like it, it's August. It feels like it feels like football season. So, life is good, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's not a normal football season that we thought we were going to get thanks to the wonderful realignment news that is kind of casting a shadow ever, over everything. But it is football season nonetheless, which is definitely something to get excited about. And hey, I'm I'm actually a little bit happy that this gives everybody a little bit of extra juice when it comes to playing Oklahoma and Texas. So, I mean, oh, yeah. not that yeah. you really need a reason to want to beat the crap out of Texas, but they just make it so easy.
1: And well, you know, and I love that out of context, Steve Sarkeesian quote that was going around Twitter uh, this week uh, right. you know, saying that that, tar- that Texas already has a huge target with the SEC thing. Their target just got bigger. He obviously wasn't talking about SEC teams. He was talking about how much more the Big 12 wants to, to kick Texas's butt up and down the field. And I've, I've said it a couple of times in various places, but Gary Patterson tends to be a win by one, not run up the score kind of a guy. Um, I have never wanted him to run up the score more if the opportunity presents itself than I do for him to do so. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm also on record as saying that Kansas is going to beat Texas down in Austin this year. I mean, they almost did it two years ago. So um, oh, that
1: would be incredible. Oh gosh, incredible. it would be
2: absolutely fantastic. Like if if Texas went 0 and nine in the Big Twelve, I would go. I would be absolutely ecstatic. That'd be a hilarious. Oh, yeah. So
1: I mean, they won't because they're going to. They're going to. know. They're but... going to start. They're going to start off when in some games they shouldn't we will get all excited they're gonna be terrible and, and i mean i do feel like sark is 100 though like like trying to build like a soft landing for himself like oh we're our target on our back is so big now blah, blah blah
2: right right it's the it's the start building excuses now so that way when you know you don't meet the high expectations the texas fans have that you have an excuse for it's like oh well we got everyone's best game because we're going to the sec and everyone's pissed off it's like yeah, sure yeah. sure that's why okay. you didn't win
1: but hey, we don't want to talk about Texas. No,
2: well, well I mean, we kind of do because it's fun to, to crap it all over fun. them.
1: It is fun. I, I'm, I'm going to tell
2: you, of these that I've done so far, all but two of them involved at least a five-minute crap on Texas session. So, I mean, um, if we
1: want to throw that in, I'm, you know, I'm here for it. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Maybe we'll come really back excited. to that at the end. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
2: all right, but, <laughs> but obviously – It'll be the
1: crap on Texas season. Yeah, though.
2: exactly. So, so, so we're here to talk about TCU Horned Frogs, of course. Um, last season was kind of a weird season, um, honestly, for everyone in the Big 12 and everyone across all of college football – but, I mean, I do feel, especially towards the end of the season, that, that things really kind of started to build for that team. Um, how much of that momentum that they got from finishing off the season strong do you think is going to carry over to this year? And and I guess really, as well, like, d- was that affected at all by the fact that their bowl game against Arkansas got canceled because of COVID stuff?
1: Um, I, I think that's actually a really good question. Um, and I think more so than in a, uh, any normal, quote-unquote normal year, Um that that momentum is really going to help uh, because it's so many young guys. And, and if you look at those last handful of games, if you look at the guys that stepped up and made plays against Oklahoma state, um, the guys that, that had huge games against Louisiana tech and that kind of add on game at the end, um, I think it can be a huge, huge build for those young guys heading into actually having spring football and heading into actually having a summer and hopefully a full fall camp. Um, if everybody's healthy, I think that, uh, that, that, that for a young team, That that really, I mean, they're replacing some huge names, but not replacing a ton, especially on offense. Um, There's some opportunity to ride that wave 100% into the fall. Um, I don't think the bowl game is going to impact that, honestly. Like, and I don't want Arkansas fans to hear this, but like, I think it was probably a good thing. I'm confident that TC would have won that game, but if they hadn't, it's much better to end your season on like a four game win streak than it is to a loss to an SEC team that's, you know, kind of a geographical rival.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think if you were worried about potentially losing that game, you don't get quite as much momentum if you lose it. Although, well, I, actually, I guess they, they kind of got the best of both worlds. They don't have to worry about potentially losing that game and they got all the practice time for it.
1: both Yeah. So exactly. like it's it worked it, out. Also, I mean, other than the fact that people, you know, apparently had COVID and that's bad. But other than that, it worked out kind of well for TCU football in some ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also one of those kind of given like the, the biggest benefit and why people are so gung ho about keeping the bowl system, at least coaches, is because they get all that extra practice time to help develop guys that are expected to be big contributors the next year. And so while I don't think most like I, I've heard it said that the most or the least important part of the bowl season is the actual bowl game. Mm-hmm. because i mean it, it unless you're in like the championship game or one of the new Year's six sure. bowls like or
1: the cheese it bowl or the cheese well let's yeah be honest.
2: right right the cheese it bowl yeah. yeah oh my gosh i i was wondering if we we're gonna have a cheese it bowl reference but yes always um of of, of course it, w- it was one of the greatest games of all time like I, you have to talk two, about it all the time right two of the
1: dumbest football games i've ever been to in person were the cheese it bowl which is unequivocally the dumbest football game i've ever been and then tcu and Texas's 20 uh 2020 game in austin which had 17 penalties in the first quarter so like just to be a part of some of these really stupid games and get to attend them in person like it's as meaningful a connection to TCU football as I could ever hope to have so yeah I mean I, I really at,
2: at least it. you have the memories even if they were not great memories they in were terms
1: awesome. of we won well, no, no, no.
2: in terms of results or in terms of like actual quality football may not be great memories but that Say, are, way but they're definitely you, great memories
1: are you saying that bowl wasn't quality football listen that's like the most viral football game of like viral meaningless football game of all time like the results are irrelevant yeah no you're right I think I think that's a
2: perfect example of the you know like that's the football version of the phrase no publicity is bad publicity because people Mm -hmm. will be talking about TCU forever because of that particular game (laughs) excellent
1: Excellent. yep thank you no no context college football for bringing that up oh gosh I know I saw that
2: and that made my week when I saw that
1: it always does it always does
2: all right, so so this particular team, though, I mean, so it's definitely a lot of really good um, practice that they got and kind of development for the young guys. So I, I guess which, which side of the ball do you think actually benefited more from that? Would it be offensive or defensive players?
1: I think definitely the offensive side of the ball. Um, it's just such a young group, and when you look at what Max Duggan has gone through over the last year, um, for him to get that time with those young receivers, um, for the offensive line to get some good work in, I think that that's the group that needed the most practice. And I also think too, that you can look back over the 20 something year history of Gary Patterson and and always go into the season feeling pretty damn confident about your defense. And so even though you're losing, you know, three starters that are going into professional football camps this summer, um, I I still feel like that there's a better chance of being able to put guys in a position to be successful on defense. than there is on offense for TCU football and that's just historically been the case. And so um, any additional reps you can, get for Zach Evans and Kendrick Miller and Quentin Johnston and Max Duggan. Like I'm going to take those all day long. And so, um, I, I, I hope that that's the group that benefited because at the end of the day, you know, that TC defense is going to show up pretty much week in and week out. It's the offense. that's really been holding this program back from reaching uh the level of expectation that fans have come, come to, to, to think is, is earned, um, over the last three years, where it's just been kind of one disappointment after another.
2: Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, it's definitely one of those, um, I mean, yeah, that's always where the questions are for TCU is always on the offensive side. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, we're not that far removed from them having six quarterbacks going into fall camp, um, which that was last season, wasn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there was the season that we played like five different guys and three of them, like one of them, you know, like couldn't move his foot and one of them (laughs) like hadn't played a snap in his entire college career and was a fifth year senior. I mean, it's been, it has been a revolving door at that position. And I think Max Duggan has, legitimately solidified himself um, as the guy as QB one. But at the end of the day, like this kid was a true freshman splitting time with Alex Delton explained to me why I can't tell you, but he did. Um, and then he, you know, had a spring ball taken away with COVID and he had a heart condition that kept him out of a fall camp. And uh, this is his first, true full offseason and so um I feel like I'm starting to sound like a broken record as I talk to people about TCU football but this is kind of the put up or shut up season for Max Duggan and what I love about Max is like he knows it he owns it and he's 100 uh knows that if he doesn't throw the ball better this season that all the criticism is is going to fall on him and, and I think he's ready to to own up and hopefully prove people wrong
2: yeah so I mean how much though of his struggles have been on him and how much of it has been on the offensive line. Cause I mean, as with most of the offenses in the big 12 that have struggled in the last few years, offensive line has not been a very good, you know, aspect of, of any of those particular offenses, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma state had issues, Texas tech had issues. So like, there's a lot of offensive lines have had a lot of problems, which has made it so that those offenses are absolutely horrible. Um, like how much of TCU struggles is Duggan just not getting it or not connecting with his, his, his skill position players and how much of it is the offensive line hasn't really been giving him time to do anything.
1: I think, uh, I think that's fair. I think that it's probably a little bit of column a, a little bit of column B um, As our good friend, Parker Fleming, stats of war said on Twitter the other day, um, TCU started seven different offensive lineups in, across their 10 games last season. Like, that is a recipe for disaster. Um, and so, if you can solidify um, that unit, I mean, we know in football there's no unit that benefits more from consistency and chemistry than the offensive line. And TCU really hasn't had that in the last three years. And go figure. The last three years, they've struggled to get the bowl eligibility. Like, did they have not played well? And so, um, if if you can keep guys healthy this season, I think you bring in um, a, an NFL caliber talent. And it'll be an easy. I think that you've got Austin, um, sorry, Steve Avila, who, um, is, is a potential Remington award, uh, you know, semifinalist level center. Um, and if the rest of the guys, the young guys can step up and develop, and if they can stay on the field, the talent is there. The pieces are there. I mean, TC has recruited the offensive line better across the last three years than they, than they have really in history. Um, what we're missing is they used to turn two-star guys into NFL players and now they're recruiting four-star guys and they're not developing. And so, so um, that's going to really be, to me, the question is, is, do these guys get on the field? Can they stay on the field? And Can they develop um, the way that we're used to seeing TCU develop players? So, um, you know, that's definitely a huge part of it. And obviously, as the offensive line goes, so will the offense. But I think, too, that, that Max Duggan struggled with his accuracy. And, you know, he, when he was confident and when he had time, he was willing to fling it. Um, but when, when he was getting a little bit nervous, he got a little bit happy feet. He wasn't quite willing to stand in the pocket. I mean, he was TCU's leading rusher last year. Like that should not happen in um, a power five conference. Like your yeah. your quarterback should not be your leading rusher. So um, I think that, that he's got to be, um, uh, he's got to be better. He's got to be calmer. He's got to be more um, uh, confident and sure of himself in the pocket, but then he also has to have a pocket to be able to do so. So I think both groups need to improve. Um, I fully expect Max to, to perform better this fall, um, but his ceiling is going to be capped by the offensive line play. And so it is going to be up to that unit uh, performing at a high level in order for TCU to be a team that can put up 32 33 34 points a game um, which I think is what they have to do if they want to get to that you know eight, nine win mark
2: yeah I mean I, I was wondering when the right time to talk about this was but and I think we actually stumbled right into it because one other potential aspect because you talked about development of players is how much of that is on the coaching staff I know that I mean TCU had like three or four different people that were involved in you know running the show for the offense so like how, how much of there was it like the inconsistent messages or how much like like how much was coaching a big issue last year, especially when you had so many voices in the room?
1: Yeah. So I talked to uh, another one of our friends at Tortillas and Takes um, the other day and, you know, they just took Sonny Cumbie on and they're like, right. yeah, we're so excited. And I'm like, you do realize that Gary Patterson hired a babysitter for Sonny Cumbie when he brought in Jerry Kill. Like there was a reason for that. And, and Patterson to be fair been-
2: though, Sonny Cumbie never really actually had the whole room to himself. Like, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the only one that had, had input there prior to bringing in Jared Kill.
1: No, I mean, no, he was like, he was the guy. So, so you had Meacham and, uh, and Comby in the 2014, 2015 run. Um, there you, have always been other assistant coaches, but there've been analysts. Like you had Sonny Dykes for a year, but I, but it has been his show. He has been the play caller, okay. um, up until, uh, two years ago. And, and that's when, um, I think that, that Gary had kind of seen enough uh in in 2018 and 2019 and again sunny it wasn't really like, it wasn't really fair to him either because it's sorry the dogs always have to get involved. Uh, well in i was say, to say the this. dog
2: has some really strong opinions about what you're saying
1: yeah yeah he he, he thinks i'm being unfair to sunny um yeah <laughs> so <laughs> um but i think that uh after 2018 2019 which again you know those were the years where we were going through like 32 quarterbacks in a season because nobody could stay healthy that's not sunny's sunny's fault by, right you know by any stretch um but i, I think he brought jerry kill in because and this, this is this not necessarily a bad sign on Sonny. This is more of just who Gary Patterson is, is that he didn't trust Cumbie. He didn't want to make the calls. He didn't feel that, that the offense was performing. He didn't like the way the game was being played. Um, he always is going to prioritize his defense, doing getting what it needs to be successful. Uh, in 2014, 2015, he had a great defense and they had a great offense. It didn't matter if they scored in 13 seconds because he knew they were going to put up 45 points. And so if his defense gave up 20, like, who cares? Um, right. But but anymore, like, it hasn't been like that. And so if the offense isn't performing and the defense is getting taxed, it makes him look bad when the defense looks bad. And and Gary's not going to stand for that. So um, Kill no, coming that's in. Fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is Gary Patterson. Um, kill coming in, uh, Kill and Sonny Cumbie didn't work. Like, that was not a healthy Oh, definitely not. But I do feel that Doug Meacham, because he's a little bit older, he's a little bit more seasoned, He's been fired a couple of times. So I think his his, you know, like, you know, Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so, you're welcome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks. Uh, and so I do. I do think you get to a stage in life where you kind of go, okay, like to be successful, life is about compromise. And I think that Doug has realized he's probably not going to be a head coach anytime soon. And maybe he doesn't even want to. And so he can come and work in with a guy like Jerry kill and some of the other like named guys that, that Patterson has brought in and, um, and, and have a hopefully a good working room. And it seems like the relationship amongst those guys from everything we hear is really solid. Um Jerry is is Gary's one of Gary's best friends. You know, like he was in his wedding, like he was a groomsman or Gary was a groomsman in his. I don't remember. Uh, these guys go way, way back. And so there's a trust there. And I think that, that what helps is that if Patterson is willing to say, I trust Jerry Kill with the offense, I'm going to get out of your way and Jerry Kill is willing to trust Doug Beecham, then I think you have a chance to be um, a lot more successful um, on the offensive side of the ball than we've seen. And I do think Doug Beecham is a better play caller than Sonny Cumbie, just based on what we've seen when Doug was calling the plays versus what we saw when Sonny was calling the plays.
2: Yeah, so. I, I and, and I was going to say, I can't really have an opinion based off of his time at Kansas because we all know that he actually yeah. didn't get to call plays at Kansas. David yeah. Beatty had his hands all over that. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's definitely one of those things, I think, in the last couple seasons especially – that it was clear something wasn't working, and one of the big criticisms of Gary Patterson is that he holds on to guys for way too long on the on, oh, yeah. on the coaching staff. And so, bringing Listen, in a guy Andy, like I'm, yeah, I'm
1: telling you right oh, now, yeah. if you mentioned the name Jared Anderson, Gary Patterson is going to track you down and yell at oh, oh, you. Oh, so I wasn't going to, say. but you
2: just did, so you better yeah. watch out.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's going to. Oh, uh, trust me, he's tracked me down and yelled at me before. It won't be the first
2: time. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I mean it's 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 one of those things like bringing in Jerry Kill, you know, to try to keep Sonny Cumbie and make that work. Like that right there kind of shows the problem instead of, you know, cleaning house and bringing in someone new, it's try to bring in someone to give you a little bit more influence on the side of the ball when you're supposed to be the head coach. Like it's one of those things, he, you know, he, he should have moved on I think from Sonny Cumbie earlier than he did, um, yeah. which, which I think still kind of opens up the question of identifying who the right people are in, in terms of the coaching. I mean, it's going to be great for them if Doug Meacham and Jerry kill can make it work and actually could put a good offense sure. together. But I I think it does call into question for anybody from outside the program is, you know, how how in touch with the actual staff and how well they're developing, like how how much of that is Gary Patterson not being able to recognize when that's happening. Um, And and so, like, if, if if what we talked about, you know, like you were just talking about how players aren't necessarily developing the way that they would expect. I I think it's still an open question at this point if that's going to happen. Obviously, I think they're in a better situation this year than they were last year to be able to make that happen. But I I do agree with you. I think that's one of the biggest questions. It's not about the level of talent they have in there. It's can they get those guys to gel? Can they develop the players into the system the way that they need to for them to be successful? And so for me, I think that's the biggest open question on the offense. I do want to ask, though, about the skill position players because there was some criticism, I think, last year that a lot of people thought that maybe part of the problem was that Duggan didn't necessarily have a lot of guys to get the ball to, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, I thought that the scope position players were pretty good last year, but how, how did that, how does that look this year in terms of helping Duggan to kind of dig out of the hole that the offense has been in the last few years?
1: I mean, I am way, way too excited about this group of wide receivers. I mean, this is the most talented on paper group of TCU players that I have seen on the offensive side of the ball ever. I mean, when you look at, at the teams that were exceptional in the 2010 team and the 2014 and 2015, the, in 2014, nobody knew who Josh Doxson or Trayvon Boykin were. You know, Aaron Green was a, a five star, but he was a cast off from a Nebraska program where he hadn't done anything like these guys were right. not people that you looked at preseason and went Oh, this seems gonna be dangerous. I mean, when they did what they did to Minnesota, everybody went like, what the hell? Like, where did this come from? Including TCU fans. Like, um, but but this group on paper is so Good looking, you know, like the paper tigers are he's fast, he's fearless, he'll, he'll run any route, he'll go across the middle, he can make the spectacular catches. Um, he's got to do a better job of getting off of press coverage at the line. Um, that's one thing that you'll hear from people is that TC wide receivers don't necessarily know how to create space, but if he can improve in that area, and as a true freshman, and this is dude to skinny, like he is so skinny. So, like, give who was that give again? A little Quentin Johnston. Okay,
2: okay, sorry, uh, I think yeah. I cut out a little bit over here, so I just want to make yeah. sure I actually got that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so so the man they call Q, um, he's had some big games. He was, you know, uh, he's CCU's leading wide receiver, but he only had like 400-something yards and two touchdowns. Like, he's, he's got to do be much more productive than that. And I think he will be um, in his sophomore campaign. Uh, you pair him up with Tay Barber, who is a senior, one of those guys that, that feels like he's been around forever in the slot, along with J.D. Spielman, um, who was a transfer from Nebraska, but uh, got hurt early last year and never really kind of lived up to his billing because he just couldn't get on the field. Um, and then Darius Davis, who kind of took advantage of the fact that that Barber and and uh, Spielman were banged up, and and became a great target in the passing game, as well as one of the best punt and kick returners in the country. Um, you know, he, he single-handedly, like, sent Baylor off crying in tears um, with his punt return. So, he, he, he was great. So, you bring in those guys, um, the, the Savion Williams and Blair Conroy are two sophomores that we kind of both think are, are really talented guys that, that could step up. And then the one that nobody's really talking about, but that we're all really quietly excited about. Uh, they call this man Sticks because he's listed at six foot four, one hundred and eighty-three pounds, but he probably weighs one hundred and sixty-two. Um, he is a Quincy Brown. He's a true freshman that that took a, a, a prep year, a prep, prep school year um, due to COVID. He was being recruited heavily by schools like Alabama and Georgia and. And, you know, pretty elite programs across the country, but then he disappeared for a year. So um, he has shown up to campus and made an incredible impression. He's apparently the fastest guy on the team. And that's really saying something when you're talking TCU. You. Um, and, you know, like you always kind of have that guy that, that you're like, oh, this is a guy like I don't want to get excited about based on his film, but I can't help myself but get excited about him based on his right. film. Like that's Quincy Brown. Like when you watch his take, you're like, Oh, like this dude, this dude has a chance to be special. So we'll see. I mean, he's just a freshman. He's an old freshman, but um, he certainly looks the part of uh, the type of, like, if if you're telling me that you're going to line up uh, Quentin Johnston and Quincy Brown on the outside and throw some combination of Davis, Spielman and Barber on the inside, and then throw in one of these tight ends that we got that looks super athletic, I'm going to feel pretty dang good about the passing game this year. Um, Better than I felt for the last three or four years, probably for sure.
2: All right. Well, yeah. I mean, so it sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of weapons, a lot of possibilities here. It's just about getting it all to mesh. So Mm -hmm. I I do want to jump over to the defense, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast.
0: If you love the Big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 conference forget the sec forget the big 10 and forget national podcasts that only talk about oklahoma and texas we talk about the schooners and the longhorns we also talk about the cyclones the cowboys the wildcats the mountaineers the jayhawks the red
2: raiders the horn frogs and the bears
0: we love the whole big 12 and we
2: are available everywhere that podcasts are found so go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today and we're back. All right, we're here with Melissa Trebawser of Frogs of War and the new Ten Twelve Network podcast, Hit the Horn. Melissa, talking about the the TCU defense. Obviously, that's the calling card for any Gary Patterson team. Um, and you know, they they definitely came on a lot stronger at the end of last season uh, than than at the beginning. Which I think part of that was just the offense wasn't as god awful <laughs> at the yeah. end of the season as it was at the beginning. But what like in in terms of players that they've lost and who's going to replace them, like. What, what, what changes are you expecting on the defense? And are you expecting the defense to actually be better this year than last year, or is it going to be about the same?
1: Um, I I don't want to say that it's going to be better because you don't take out Garrett Wallow, Trayvon Merrick, and Adarius Washington and and be like, oh yeah, we're better this year without those three guys. um, All three of whom are are just super elite players who um, are going to probably have really long professional careers. So, um, but I will tell you this, I think the defensive line is going to be significantly better which in turn is going to make the offense better. And then we're also, uh, we've got Noah Daniels back at cornerback, which I think also makes the defense better. So the potential is there. Um, I, I think at linebacker, Garrett Walla was a super, super special player. And I don't want to act like he's just super replaceable, but TCU has not struggled to find really great linebackers through the years. And so with D Winters taking up the lead role, uh, there's some other talented guys, uh, Shadrack Banks who came over from Texas A&M and transferred and he was, he was a, a two-way player in high school. He was playing wide receiver with the Aggies and he comes back to TCU to play linebacker. Dude's a freak. Um, it, he's a freshman so I don't know if he's going to be the starting guy on week one but uh, he certainly has the talent um, but but if you tell me that, that some combination of TJ Carter uh, grad transfer from Memphis who I think is going to be really good um, and then you've got LaKendrick Van Zandt, you've got Josh Foster, you've got um. Uh, uh. hold on I'm just blanking on a name here let me let me look it back <laughs> he's like my he's my favorite safety and he's the one I'm most excited to see and I cannot ever bug Clark I can never remember his name um Nook Bradford is a guy who's played a lot Deshaun McQueen is a guy who had a great spring there are a lot of really solid candidates to be great in the defensive backfield and so as long as two of those guys can step up next to Carter I think TC will be Maybe not as dynamic as they were the last two seasons with Merrick and Washington, but they'll still be really, really good. And Noah Daniels and Travis Hodges Tomlinson are, are two of the super elite cornerbacks in, in the Big 12 and, and potentially in the country. If Daniels is healthy and uh, uh, Trey Tomlinson lives up to his considerable offseason billing, um, or even partially up to his considerable offseason billing, then I feel really good about the secondary. So, what I'm excited for is this defensive line. Um, kari coleman really burst onto the scene late last year and as he did Oshawn mathis became a lot more of a problem for opposing defenses those two guys at the bookend um pressuring the quarterback along with a really really solid interior defensive line that benefits from getting Corey bethley back after he got hurt in the baylor game last year um when tcu is really really good on defense it's because they get to the quarterback And they have uh, historically been uh, one of the great pressure defenses in the country. And the last couple of years, they've really struggled to to pile up the sacks and the hurries and, and and, uh, the pressures. And so if, if uh, Coleman and Mathis are as good as we expect them to be, and you can rotate a lot of the guys on the inside, because you've got a lot of bodies that are really, really talented. um, I'm very excited to see what this defense, this TC defensive line does this year. I I think um, this unit, the potential is really, really high, but until you get on the field and you see what life is like post wallow, uh, Merrick and Washington, it's hard to say exactly who they're going to be when, you know, when, when kickoff comes.
2: So, so I heard a lot of different areas that were supposed to be really, really good. So does this TCU defense have a weakness?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, who's going to play linebacker next to D. winners, right? Like I said, I'm confident that we're going to develop somebody, but when you look at, at the, the options, it's a true freshman in Shadrack Banks. It's Wyatt Harris, who's a really solid, steady player, but not somebody that you look at and be like, oh, he, you're going to have to game plan away from him. Um, it's it's uh, uh, Zach Marchelli, who um, is a super talented big dude, but just hasn't been able to find his way on the field. Uh, there are a lot of really exciting names. Jamoy Hodge is another guy um, that you think, oh, that guy can step in and, and be really, really solid, but none of these guys have played you know they haven't right. been there when the lights have been on and so we don't really know what they're going to do in game situations we don't know how well they know the playbook and knowing the playbook in the 425 is is as important as being a good athlete so um and then you know I said like I'm I'm confident in the safeties because I've seen a lot of them because you know Washington was banged up we were rotating a third safety pretty much the entirety of last year that was always in flux because of injuries but uh it's it's one thing to be a, a guy who goes in as a replacement or as a fill in versus the guy that you're expecting to be Um, elite week in and week out and so um, until push comes to shove we're not going to see it and then the depth at cornerback is really not great there's been a lot of injuries at that position the last couple of years Um, and so uh, I I think that if if there's injuries again then then that's something that's super super concerning Um, depth of the defensive line is awesome safety depth is is solid um, but if if Noah Daniels uh deals with injuries again or Tra- God forbid Travis Hodges Thomas and gets hurt, um then I think T two could definitely be in trouble.
2: Yeah, it sounds like the dog doesn't agree about the cornerback depth though. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: He
2: did. <laughs> <that was> okay. <laughs> All right. So so I mean, I, I think we pretty much covered the entire team itself. So so let's take a look at the schedule.
1: We uh, still haven't talked about Zach Evans though. And I don't know how we've done that. Zach Evans, the running back, just yeah, you're Right. And we kinda just completely out.
2: we we just kinda completely skipped over running back. So Which
1: is which is hilarious because that's probably the best position group on the TCU team completely. Okay, so so,
2: so what, what do we need to know about the running backs then for, for TCU?
1: Um, Zach Evans is, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I think he's going to be in the conversation with um, Brees Hall, which Levi's going to be so mad, I said. And Bijan Robinson is, is kind of the, the, the breakout uh, running back in the conference. I mean, there's so many good running backs this year. It feels like everybody has at least one that they're excited about. But I think Zach Evans is special. Um, and I think we saw that in bits and pieces last year. So him along with Kendra Miller is a really, really good one-two punch. And if the offensive line doesn't suck, um, I, I think those two guys are are gonna be people that uh, make life a lot easier for Max Duggan and put a lot of point help put a lot of points on the board for the TCU offense.
2: All right. So now that we've talked about the entire team, let's go ahead and jump over to the schedule. Um, obviously, you know, the well, you've actually got two games on here that I that I think could both be considered to be the the marquee non-conference game. So obviously starting the season with Duquesne, that's kind of one that I think That's the
1: marquee. We're bro, so oh yeah, about yeah,
2: it. of course, of course, of course. Um, you know, but then going and playing Cal, uh actually, I'm sorry, playing Cal at home it looks like. Mm-hmm. Cal um, at home. you know, on on September 11th, uh right before you have your bye, which I think is weird timing for the bye, but uh but but then you come back to play SMU. So so which of those two games or you know, I should say which of those games do you think one is going to be important for this team. And and which one do you think would you call the marquee matchup for you?
1: I mean, I think that you, that TCU fans still have an issue respecting SMU, but that's a really, really good football team. Um, they are super talented. They're super well-coached. Sunny Dykes has done everything right. And they beat us the last time we played. They've got the skillet. So um, I think that, that Cal's good. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of healthy respect coming in for them, but off, coming off of a bye week, you have to win that SMU game. You have to. You have to reestablish yourself as the dominant program in DFW, especially with realignment things starting to shake up. You want to make sure that you are the DFW team that people remember is pretty damn good. Um, and so beating SMU at home after a bye is critically important. And when you look at those first four games, I mean, you've got four straight home games and a bye. Like, that's a stretch that's going to tell us a lot about TCU football before or barely into the month of October.
2: Yeah. So, I mean about that buy, like, it, it always seems for some reason that TCU has weird buy timing. Um, like it happened, always. it happened last we, year too. And like this games. year, right this year, like do we don't have extra bye weeks or potential, you know, off weeks because of, you know, COVID cancellations or anything like that. So like, I mean, how, how concerned are you about the fact that you're gonna have to play 10 straight games to end out to end the season?
1: I mean, I think it's always a concern, especially when you when you look at the fact that you're you're going to be looking at potential forfeits for COVID, that there's no real uh, soft landing zone. Um, Patterson said today that TC is about 90% vaccinated. And so that's a really good thing. But um, it, it's really hard on a young team to, to just play. But I think there's also a, a bonus in it too, is that you don't have time to get distracted. You know, you're yeah. just going game to game and worrying about what's next. And there's no time to look back or look forward. And there's no... You know, trap game, but I know that we play a couple pretty important games coming off of those teams' buys. And so I think that's always a disadvantage when you're the team that isn't well rested. So right. um, the good thing is, is that this has been the case for like the last three seasons. So Patterson and his coaching staff are really experienced in it.
2: Right. You know how um, to handle it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why this keeps happening to us, but. Um, I, I just I do worry a lot about that um, that SMU Texas Texas Tech at Texas Tech at Oklahoma stretch. I think that's an absolutely brutal stretch of games, and then going um, you know finishing the season Baylor at Oklahoma State Kansas at Iowa State. Um, you know that that's that. I mean, I, you're not super worried about Baylor or Kansas at this point, but you also never know. Um, right. And I, I think that that finishing with Iowa State on Black Friday is is and what could be a really, really important game. Um, that's, that's a lot to, to look ahead to at the end of the season coming off the 10 straight games.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, we'll actually talk about that game when we get there, because I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening <laughs> at the end of the season there. Um, but kind of to your point about, about that beginning stretch. I mean, you're, you, you open up the conference season playing Texas at home, then go to Texas tech and then Oklahoma right after that. So like of those three games though, which, which one do you think is the most important for TCU?
1: I mean you gotta beat texas right like it's at home um they're picked had a tcu again in the preseason poll like everybody is jumping on their bandwagon and giving them a lot of hype um there you had that that texas state senator who's a tcu alum trashing them right, on right c-span or whatever um you can't, you know, you can't have done all of this stuff about realignment in the offseason and talked all this crap and written, you know, however many articles I've written about it and then lose to Texas at home. Like, that would be really, really bad. So that's kind of the one that, that I want. Um, you don't want to lose to Tech at, in Lubbock, but also like TCU and Tech never play just a normal game. Um, we've had right. like one blowout win since we joined the Big 12 and everything else has been one score, triple overtime. So um, that is what it is. And, and look, like until I see TCU play, I'm not going to sit there and say we're going to have a chance to be Oklahoma in Oklahoma. We play them tight, but we haven't beat them since 2014. Like, Right, right, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of I'm chalking that up as an L before the season starts. So um, Texas is the one that you got to get. You want to start Big 12 play one know? I think that's super important. Um, and if you can go and, and you can be 2-1 and one at the end of that three-game stretch, you're going to feel pretty good about your football team.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely one of those things, too, where it's like if you're planning on beating Oklahoma, then obviously you're not really paying that much attention. So
1: Or your Kansas State, right?
2: <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. I, I, I'm stuck between hoping that Kansas State beats them again just so Oklahoma can take as many painful losses as possible and really not wanting Kansas State to kind of be able to hold that calling card of, hey, yeah. we beat Oklahoma three times in a row before they left the conference.
1: It's, but it is also the only thing they can really hold their hat on here over the last couple of years. So that's
2: true. But I mean, well, you know what, then, then we can also blame them for the reason Oklahoma is leaving the conference, right? Because they yeah. kept beating Oklahoma yep. so much that Oklahoma had to take their ball and go home.
1: And that's why Texas is leaving. Cause they got sick of TCU beating them too and embarrassing them. So that's
2: awesome. So, so, so now we know whose fault it is for all of this. 100%. Yep. <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I agree with you that that one is the most important. I do think that the Texas Tech one is is probably right behind it just because, yeah. um, you know, TCU has been talked about by several people, like not like media polls or anything like that. But a lot of people are saying that the that, that TCU has a good chance of being like third in the conference or even potentially, you know, fighting to to be able to get there if they can beat Iowa State at the end of the year into the end of the big 12 championship game. So like you can't afford to lose any of the games that you're not supposed to lose early in the season, which means you have mm-hmm. to beat Texas to kind of make sure you leapfrog over them. And you have to beat Texas tech because despite what anyone says, including all says about Texas tech being better this year. Um, there is no reason to think that Texas tech is going to be better than TCU this year, just given what TCU is bringing back and at how, how much improvement we're supposed to be able to see from them. So I, I think that that one is one that you can't afford to lose. Whereas like, I think the, the, the Texas one is the most important to win for outside of football reasons, but also for like conference standing reasons. The Texas tech one is the one you can't afford to lose. If you want to be taken seriously for the, rest yeah, of the season,
1: a hundred percent, hundred percent.
2: All right. So the next three, the West Virginia or I'm sorry, home against West Virginia at Kansas state and then home against Baylor. Um, I mean, I, I think I know which one is probably going to be the most difficult of those three, although maybe not. Um, I mean, I think that West Virginia is probably gonna be a better team this year, but the fact Mm -hmm. that Kansas state one's on the road might make it a little bit more difficult. So which one are you more worried about?
1: We've had a lot of problems with West Virginia the last few years. Um, After the first couple of years in the big 12, where we were pretty much 50 50 against them. And then we had a nice little stretch where we won like three in a row. um, We have not been able to beat them. I think the last three seasons. So um, I want to, I want to get that win under our belt because it's, it's, it's been kind of a -a bugaboo for TCU the last few seasons. Um, but I, I think playing in the Little Apple can be obviously a challenge. It's going to depend on what kind of team Kansas State is, though. Like like right yeah. now on paper, the way that we've handled them, um, I'm not going to sit there and be like, I think it's going to be t- – I, I think right now I would say it's going to be tougher to beat West Virginia at home than it is to, to win in Manhattan. Um, but that could that could completely change by you know October 1st too so yeah um, Kansas State you know what you're going to get they're going to be well coached they're going to be um, disciplined they're they're going to execute well um, you got to worry about TCU, special
2: teams but that's like yeah. the one the only thing you absolutely have to worry about so.
1: yes TCU is, is infinitely more talented than Kansas State this year um, and, and Deuce Vaughn was a great story but i mean we shut them down and so i'm not if you've got one guy that needs to be corralled i'm really confident gary patterson writing up something to corral him so right um, now they could come out and beat us it wouldn't surprise me nothing surprised me with kansas state but um you know and then uh, baylor i mean you got to be baylor like baylor's down you cannot let them you can't be the team that they get back up against you know like right you don't want to be the one that gives them confidence
2: yeah yeah that that baylor one should be an I, I hate to say easy win because it is a rivalry game. Like as much as you guys have a rival here in the Big 12, it would be Baylor for sure. So, um, so like that one could potentially be weird, but it is a game at home. You're coming off of that, you know, game at Kansas State. But I, I guess how much worry is there though about that being a trap game, given the fact that it's between a you know a a game at Kansas State and then a game at Oklahoma State, which by that point in the season, if, if everything's going well, that could be a game that you need to stay in the, in the Big 12 race.
1: I never worry about two teams being trap games and that's Texas and Baylor. You have no issues making sure your guys are up for Baylor. That's, okay. that has not TCU, which I guess um, is fair.
2: Rivalry games are a little bit different. Um, yeah.
1: It, and we've seen like, we've seen, I mean, you got to remember when Baylor was number 10 and TC was really, really bad a couple of seasons ago, we took them to to triple OT. Um, and we right. had no, we had no reason to do so. Uh, we should have won that game. Max was in all die on that grave, but yeah, um, but, you know, I think that that, that uh, it's not like it was when uh, he who shall not be named was there and Gary Patterson like had literal disgust and he was right. We found out later he was right. Um, right. But he, it's not it's not as ugly as it was. I, I think that, that Patterson had nothing but respect for Matt Rule and I think he has nothing but respect for Dave Aranda. But at the same time, like it's still Baylor and we are going to want to we're going to want to take care of them like that's. That's never going to be an issue. So I honestly worry more about the Kansas State game being a track game than I do about the Baylor game.
2: Fair, fair. All right, so obviously the last three, you know, ending at Oklahoma State, then um, having Kansas coming to town, and then going and finishing the season at Iowa State. So we'll we'll actually talk about each of these games, I think, in turn. That Oklahoma State game, like, what are you expecting from that? Because I think this is kind of a, a similar situation for oklahoma state as it is for tcu where that oklahoma state defense is expected to be pretty good this year the big questions are kind of surrounding the quarterback and how well they can put everything together and whether the offensive line is fixed so like it almost sounds like coming into the season that tcu and oklahoma state are kind of in a similar situation um do you have any kind of read on how that game uh you know might potentially shake out or even like the things that you'd be concerned about in that game going up against oklahoma state
1: it, it, Oklahoma State's such a weird uh, game for TCU every year. Um, we should have beat them in Stillwater two seasons ago. They should have beat us last year in Fort Worth. Um, it, these games never go how they're supposed to. I think that um, what we did last year well was put like take away the running game and put the ball in Spencer Sanders' hands. And when you've got a defensive backfield like we had last season, like that's you can be pretty confident in doing so. Um, he saw, you know, much like Max Duggan, he's he's got a lot to prove this season when it comes to throwing the. So, um, I think that Oklahoma state defense obviously is going to be really, really solid. They have some, some elite players at important positions. Um, but I don't know if their offense is going to be able to replace some of the big pieces that they lost. Um, I'm not sure where their deep threat is. I'm not sure who their safety valve is what wa- five foot nine wide receiver in the slot is going to end up, you know, catching 145 yards and three touchdowns against TCU. Cause that's always what happens. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, it's really hard to win in Stillwater, but uh, I think that's a game TCU definitely can win. Um, and and they do tend to get up for Oklahoma State, too. That's kind of quietly become a, a pretty big game for these two programs the last couple of years, and really like across all three major sports, too. You know, we, we were the only team that swept Oklahoma State in basketball last year, which was so weird because we were so bad. Um, and you know, in baseball that rival used to become pretty pretty legit too. So yeah. um, that, that's a game that that I think, again, if you're saying that, that you're trying to compete for a Big 12 championship, that's a win you absolutely have to have.
2: All right. I, I'm going to skip over the Kansas game for now because I think well, I'm going to save the, the best one to talk about to the last. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that, I mean, that finale against Iowa State, that very well could be a game for a spot in the Big 12 championship. Um, I mean, do, do you think that that TCU is kind of in a good position to potentially make the championship game with a win over Iowa state at that point. Or I I think there's a lot of people that see Oklahoma as a clear one. Iowa is a clear two, except for apparently pro football focus. Um, And then the rest of the conference is kind of all jumbled up there from like three to seven. Um, I mean, how, how close do you think that's going to be in, in terms of getting to the end of the season there and that potentially being a play in game for the championship game?
1: You know, I haven't really looked at Iowa State's schedule, and so I can't really speak from their perspective. But my goal is is that when we come into that game, that there is a Big 12 championship berth on the line. Like, I think TCU is capable. Um, I don't know if they'll get there. Like, I think that, you know, if you say it at Oklahoma is a loss, and you're probably going to drop another game along the way, um, you know, is, is Iowa State going to falter with all the expectation? They've never really been in this position before. Um, they have, you know, pretty much every important piece coming back. But – it's, it's a very, it's a very different world when you're looking down on everybody else and you become the one with the target as opposed right. to when you're the cute little upstart, like speaking from a, of a program who's been on both sides of that, it, you know, that it's when we came out and we were on sports illustrated cover in 2015 and the preseason number two in the country. And then like just every injury ever happened. And we had nothing yeah. but bad bounces. Like that's kind of the way that it goes when you're on top. And so um, I am going to be super interested to see um, what they do throughout the season. Um I, if you, if you told me that TCU was nine and three and two of their losses were to Oklahoma and Iowa state by the end of the year, then then I would feel like we probably had a pretty dang good season. Right. Um, but, but if you're telling me that we can go into Ames and play for a big 12 championship on the line, like how much fun would that be? Like I've been to, I've been to Ames for a football game. I would, I would be there in a heartbeat to watch that one. Um, that, that would be to me, that would yeah. be a really successful season. Even if you just had that opportunity um, there, I, I think it's probably a 50 50 pro- proposition. Um, and and who knows? I mean, there may be somebody else that, that rises up too. I, I still think that nobody knows anything about West Virginia. And so maybe they come out and talk right. the world. Um, but that's, that's the hope that's, that's the hope that that game actually means something on black Friday.
2: For sure. All right. So obviously the most important game for everyone here on this podcast, at least is, is that TC versus Kansas game. And, and you know, you were talking about how certain teams will never really be trap games. And I, I wonder about this Kansas game because it's between those two super important games Kansas and TCU always play weird games for the most part. Um, you know, either like the one where Kansas had like four total offensive yards or something ridiculous like that throughout the entire you know, like coming into the so good. Or, or like the, for, for the whole game. Or, you know, I mean there was a couple of years ago the butt fumble game where Kansas won, you know. really so you're really good yes, at that? To yes, I had to okay. bring it up. Come on, come on. Okay. I, I brought up the painful one for me. I had to bring up the painful one for you. But That's I think fair. that kind of makes the point is that the Kansas TCU games are usually pretty weird. Like even when when David Beatty you know, like there was that one where they had an opportunity to go kick a field goal to win the game late in the game in a game that Kansas had absolutely no business being in. Um, like it, it seems that these two teams always play weird games where you know Kansas has absolutely no business being in these in these games. But how worried are you one about just the fact that it is so late in the game between those two you know things that are that are kind of there are those two games that are that are sandwiched that are super important for TCU and also just the fact that you probably really don't have any idea what Kansas is going to do at this point because Leipold is brand new. It's obviously going to be a completely different system that Les Miles was doing. Um, so like how, how much pause do you get from that game, knowing that that could be a potential game that could jump up and bite TCU?
1: I think Leipold is going to be awesome. I think he's a great coach, um, but I just want to remind you that TCU put 59 points on the board with Max Duggan completing three passes last year.
2: Oh, I know. But again, so, Les, Les Miles was, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, no that that uh, so, that team last year was extremely beat up though. Like if you look yeah. at when that was, um, you know that was that was after, you know they had tons of injuries against Oklahoma State. Like they were down to their fifth string linebackers yeah. by the time they played TCU, and that was well, Kansas' biggest problem last year yeah. was that, you know they have a fantastic secondary. Um, to be honest, I think I think that overall Kansas secondary is in the top half of the big 12 conference. The problem was the linebacker spot gave up everything last year. And so you didn't really need to challenge the secondary because you could get five to six yards every single play just by throwing over the middle because the linebackers couldn't find a way into the right position. And a lot of that was because of, you know, young guys that were dealing with, with having to step in for guys that had injuries and stuff like that. So like, I I think it's going to be better this year. I do think though, like this is. Especially late in the season when Kansas has had an opportunity to really kind of get guys to gel and really buy into the system like I, I think it's it's more of a problem for TCU to be playing this game so late especially where it's sandwiched in than if they were playing them in you know, Kansas is like the first or second big 12 opponent that they played
1: yeah and I think I mean I think that's definitely fair and just for the record though to TCU I think only traveled with like 42 players to that game everybody it was that was last year was such a well, disaster fair, fair. um yeah. but um I, I think that the light gonna gonna turn that program around um I don't think he's gonna turn it around in a year
2: oh, oh um, right right
1: yeah, and so I, I do think that it is at a bad time. It is sandwiched between two really, really tough road games. Um, I'll sit, tell you this: that if TCU loses to Kansas, like things are bad. All right, things are really, really bad. Like <laughs> especially yeah. if like
2: that is the game that keeps you from going to the Big Twelve Championship. Right. Like that yeah. would and so. I I feel like there would be a riot at that point if that's what happened. Oh, one hundred percent,
1: one hundred percent. Yeah, people would be tearing down Gary Patterson's statue, like one hundred percent. But that's and that's really going to be the story of the season, right? It's like all that we've heard about this leading up into the season is how great the chemistry is on the team, how much leadership there is, how much these guys like legitimately like each other. The last time I heard that was before the twenty fourteen season, and the last time before that was before twenty ten. So, like, you know, you take it for what it is. You're hearing this from whoever you're hearing it from, and it may or may not be true. But like, if you legitimately have a team that's this locked in and this together and this motivated um, and this mature, then you don't fall for a loss to Kansas at home in between two critical games. Like there'll definitely be some looking ahead, but while I think it benefits Kansas for it to be late in the season, I also think it benefits TCU too, because you, hopefully by that point, you you've got a goal in mind and you're, if you're saying, and you have some tape
2: on what Kansas is going to be doing. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if if you're saying, if you're legitimately, if Gary Patterson can go up and say, you know, coming off a win against Oklahoma State and say, listen, if we beat Kansas and we play Iowa State for a shot in the Big 12 championship, don't screw it up against Kansas. You, <laughs> right. know, like you have the kind of guys that they're going to rise up. So I, I do think Kansas is going to win some games, and I do think they're going to upset some people along the way. Um, but like you said, by that, at that point in the season, um, when there's a lot of tape out there, hopefully Patterson can scheme away. Um, I'm very interested to see how your quarterback situation plays out. Um, yeah. The transfer that you got in from, um, was it from UNT?
2: I think so. Yes. Uh, yeah, I believe it was UNT. Yeah. Bean.
1: He's good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah Bean, he is. He's good. And and so I think that that's really what's been lacking. is just consistently solid quarterback play. And so, like you said, defense is good. Um, there's talent there. They've got some good running backs. They've got some good wide receivers. Um, I, I think it's probably still a, a three year rebuild to get the right guys in at the right positions. But if Bean can play, then they're going to win a game they shouldn't win this year for sure.
2: Yeah. I, I'm already on record saying that they are going to win a game that they shouldn't win, but it's probably going to be against Texas. So um, you know, they, they yeah, almost so. they almost beat them last time they were down in Austin. And honestly, I think this team is going to be better. It's going to have a better system than they had before. For
1: sure, um, for sure.
2: You know, and, and the other thing to think about, too, is that Texas is going to be, is still trying to figure out who their quarterback's going to be. Like, supposedly yeah. they're good, real big heralded guys. But we saw Sam Ellinger get flustered in that game against Kansas, which I was really surprised by, and was finally able to kind of finish it off. and And, and you know, Dicker was able to get that big kick at the end of the game. So it's definitely one of those things, I think, where, um you know Kansas they they're going to get a big win over somebody that they probably shouldn't but i i don't think that TCU is the team that they're going to do that against especially since it's going to be at the end of the year i do think that they'll probably get some sort of like moral victory of keeping this game a lot closer than a lot of people sure. necessarily think but I, I don't know that TCU is going to be too worried about that. They just want to win to make sure Definitely. that they keep going. Yeah. So,
1: well, and if this game was in Lawrence, I'd probably feel a little bit different. Um, right. But, but I think that getting back home and between those two really tough games and probably emotionally exhausting games could be a good thing for TCU.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we have time to really crap on Texas anymore than we've already done, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities during the season and, For you know, sure. I, am sure you'll have plenty of time to do it over on your podcast as well. So, uh, but Melissa, where, where can the people find your work online?
1: Uh, you can find me at frogzawar.com, um, where, uh, we, we've been doing a great job just getting stuff up, keeping people updated on everything going on, um, the Frogs of War podcast, and then also the Hit the Horn podcast, uh, which launched last week, we'll be featuring myself and Colin Post as soon as he gets back from, uh, being a saint that works with children at summer camp. Um, then he'll join me too. And, uh I'm excited to I think some of you guys probably heard Colin's voice before. He's been on 1012 a couple of times. Yep. He's a good kid. Um he cover, he's covers, he uh, covers TCU as a current student. So he's got great insight to the program and into uh to the fan base. So it'll be fun to have him on.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that is gonna do it for us today. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please go out wherever you get your podcast, is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcasts so you can subscribe and get every episode as soon as it comes out. Um, if, if you can give us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments, would be absolutely great. But if, for whatever reason, you, you're not able to do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, also, now, now that we're on Anchor, you guys can actually leave us a voicemail, get your voice on the show. Just go to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message. And I promise we'll get you on the show as long as you're not super inappropriate. Um, you know, absolutely great that we're here on the, on the 1012 network. You can find all the shows, including Melissa's new show. Uh, just go on Twitter at 1012network. That's T-E-N-1-2 network. And you can find links to all the shows and, and everything that's going on there. So, But Melissa, thanks again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
0: Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.